Hi, this is Greg Lamond, and you're listening to the Velocast at the 2016 Tour de France with Scott Raw, John Galloway, and Ashley House. Hello everyone and welcome to the VeloCast analysis and given what we've just seen, that's an interesting choice of words, of the 2016 Tour de France. Stage 12 will go down in tour history, but not for the reasons that organisers ASO will want to make any kind of song and dance over. An unimaginable and darkly comic set of circumstances, including three GC riders, including the yellow jersey, crashing into the back of a camera motorbike, saw Chris Froome running up Mont Ventoux desperately in search of a rideable bike. The trio of Froome, Baucomolema and Richie Port had dropped the rest of the GC group when the accident, we believe caused by the route being made impassable by fans, occurred. And in all the years I've been watching this sport, I don't think I've ever seen anything like the farce that played out in the run-in to Charlie Renard this afternoon. I tell you, Richie Port, incredibly impressive as he face-planted the back of that bicycle. But I'm looking forward to the press conference when Chris Froome goes, life is like a box of chocolates. Because he was just like Forrest Gump running up that hill, wasn't he? I think Chris Froome actually should be given some some ironic style points for not looking like a, a mincing fool while running in cleats because that's, let's face it, what everyone else looks like. I'd actually argue he looked a lot better running than he did at, you know, when he was uh, just normally on the bike looking like he's trying to strangle the thing. Do you know the really sad thing is we had lots of people lamenting the fact that the top kilometres were taken off one too because of, frankly, you know, terrible ones. There was no way that you could have safely raced up that today. But anybody that's been up it knows that the climb to Chalet Renard is still absolutely brutal. You know, you can get the heat focused in through the forest. Um, The reduction of the kilometres actually increased the average gradient of the climb. It retains its uh, or category status and we were in for an absolutely cracking showdown. And that's what we were getting. We'd had a magnificent breakaway all day and, you know, we saw Danny Navarro, uh, Serge Pills and Thomas de Gent play out a, a brilliant finale to that break. We'd had Nairo Quintana poke his nose out of the front of the, the GC contenders group for the first time this race, really. Um, we'd had Chris Froome respond and we'd actually seen for the first time, you know, when he's been in this kind of form, two riders able to go with him. First Richie Port and then Bauke Molema of Trek confirming that he's going to be an absolutely fantastic domestique for uh, Alberto Contador next year. And none of that matters. Absolutely none of it matters because what we got next was high farce. And I've seen a lot of people commenting on the fact that it's you know, it's the crowd's fault, the crowd, you know. And Killian quite rightly pointed out that when you fit 21 kilometres worth of crowd into 15 kilometres, there's going to be trouble. But since then, um, and it's likely still the crowd's fault, there are pictures appearing, particularly as Velo Images have won, of four media motos just in front of the group, line astern with none of them anywhere to go if anything happens. And we know what happens, you know, when motos have that. And as our chum, who's actually, I think, should get a credit on this show now, he's mentioned so bloody often, Dave Ibbots and Hurst mentioned, we're going to learn a lot more when the fans all get off the hill and get to Wi-Fi hotspots and upload their video. This isn't as simple as everybody's making it out. We've had a decision made by the commissaires that is dividing the cycling world already. Um, and frankly, you know, it's just an embarrassment. I've, 40 years I've been watching this sport. And other than maybe, you know, breaking his nose and us waiting, you know, those tense minutes until we saw if he crossed the line and then he rode the rest of the race looking like the panda that chased uh, 
Dan Martin up to Ongs, you know. I, I can't think of anything that's left me as flabbergasted. Just an astonishing day. And I'm, I mean, we're recording shortly after the stage. I've still got no idea how I feel about this. I mean, it was just a joke. It, it was. I mean, clearly, you're, you're right to point out that we still do not know the circumstances. Literally, that image was tweeted um, before we started recording, I mean, seconds before we started recording. And that has, has shocked me to the core, seeing just that m- mass of people huddled round. I mean, there's there's nothing but people, the crowd, or, you know, either side of the image and four media motors in front of three riders on, on the hill today. Is it any wonder something happened? We, we don't know what it was, whether, you know, it's been a touch of brakes by the first motorbike, which has caused the other three to go into the back. And then, of course, the three riders to um, crash into the back of that last one. But the, the, the video image of, of Richie Port careering into the back and that crunch that you can hear was was really shocking and and, and distasteful. And when looking at that piece of video over and over again, you can just see uh, Chris Froome's yellow helmet right at the bottom left-hand corner of the frame. So it's clear that he went down. Uh, Baukamolima, you can see, getting himself up. Uh, And it was just... Farce is the only word for, for it. I mean, ASO promising chiefly on the back of of terrorist attacks in France and Belgium this year, that this would be the safest Tour de France ever. ever. Clearly not the case today, Monsieur Proudhon. And for anybody that believes that that maybe that's an unfair comparison to bring to bear, consider this. If ASO can't control crowds to keep the riders safe from crashing into a moto and causing a GC-defining incident, how the hell could they keep the self-same crowd safe from someone someone wishing to cause actual premeditated harm rather than the farcical accidental type that we witnessed today? And then we move on, you know. I really feel sorry for Thomas de Kemp. You know, he, he pulled off a fantastic victory today. He was one of the animators of that break. And there were so many other small stories within it, you know. Old man Sylvan Chavanel, still at the fore, you know. Andre Greipel, the gorilla, actually attacking at the foot of one two to try and get that sprinter's gap so that he can drift back. So many great stories. But, you know... You know. I don't even know where to go with this because first I want to, I actually want to compliment Chris Froome because I've seen a lot of people saying he panicked by running. I don't think he did at all. He didn't look panicked. He looked extremely composed. And I think he did what any competitor would do. He assessed the situation when he got up. You know, and there's already some horrific photos of him on the ground with Baukamolama's bike on top of him just now. But he assessed the situation, realised his bike wasn't rideable and thought, right, what do I do? The line's only 700 metres away. It wasn't that far away at the point. And he started running. And that's, you know, all credit to him. Richie Port, anybody that thinks that he's working for Chris Froome, only needs to see him pass Christian Prudhomme or the, the head commissaire's car. Froome's running. Port comes up the side of him and shouts, Move! at the car, you know, with huge passion. He wants to get time. He knows that Chris Froome's losing time. He's not stopping to give him a backy up the hill. You know, he's, he's attacking. Bukamolima gets up, gets himself together quicker than the others, manages to get a break. 
you know, there's all of this action going on. The guys behind who might have been managing their effort in the hope of getting time back because Chris Froome, Mollema and Port all looked, you know, they were strong, but they weren't freakishly strong compared to the others. So there might have been some guys waiting to play out everything they had in the last kilometre and might have gained some time back. There's all of those stories besides the ones that we do know that we now know we'll, we'll never know how they played out. You know, so whatever they do, and currently what we're hearing is they've given Port and uh, Froome the same time as Bauke Mollema, which results in Chris Froome keeping the jersey and larger gaps to the guys behind him. But, you know, gaps aren't constant. You can't just make up a result. And, I, I mean, I have some sympathy with it. You know, Froome, it's through no fault of his own that he's in this circumstance. But it's also no fault of the riders who've suffered by the decision. It's just really unsatisfactory for everybody. And I really feel for the commissaires as well, because whatever decision they made today, they can't make the right one. You know, 50% of the folk are going to be absolutely chuffed. 50% of the folk are going to be properly fucked off. You know, it's just, it's a sad, sad day for cycling. And, you know, if it wasn't so sad, it would be really funny. Because it was like Keystone Cops out there. Yeah, it was. And, and and I support wholeheartedly everything that you've said there. It's it's nobody's fault, but really ASOs. I mean, again, I come back to this issue of ASO promising that which they have not delivered. And I mean, it's been a, an unfortunate set of circumstances which has got us here. A freakish wins that, that just made that final six kilometres to the top of Vaughan 2 unrightable and they made the right decision to curtail it. Unfortunately, what that did, as you point out, you know, from, from Kelly and saying, you know, this is what happens when six kilometres worth of spectators are have you know have to be moved down because it's not like anybody went up there this morning these guys have been up on the top of Mont Ventoux for some days when mm-hmm. I mean, we see this every every year if, if Ventoux or Alpe d'Huez we hear of the the um the motor homes and the tents going up a week before the race is due to to get there sometimes longer so all these people will have been moved off the top of the mountain for their own safety and, of course, because the, the, the race isn't going to go past them. And they've got nowhere to go other than slightly south of Charlie Lenard because that's where all the barriers were. And you're not going to give up the chance to see the race when you've been parked there for two days, for God's sake. Exactly so. So all that's happened is there's just been mass, a massive bottleneck just before the finish because nobody wants to go any further south than that. The Crowds increase exponentially. That means that the amount of space is vastly reduced. It means that people pushing in, trying to see the race, causes the the road to narrow further. And again, with this issue of of motos on the road, and there being too many of them, it's led to this, I use the word again, farcical incident. And we can only blame you ASO for this. We could say that the motors are at fault again because there's too many of them, but again, that comes back to ESO for allowing that that number uh, to to be on there. So I've got I've got nothing but praise for the riders and the way that they tried to deal with it. It's sad for Chris Froome. It's sad for Bowkamolima and Richie Port. It's sad for Nairo Quintana if he indeed had anything to try and come back at Chris Froome 
on that last 700 metres, we'll never know. It's especially sad for riders like Thomas de Ghent, who's won the stage, for Daniel Navarro, for him coming back, and Serge Powell's for the great battle that they had up ahead of the GC group. It's sad for people like you say, like Selvan Chavanel and Andre Greipel, who'd made a brilliant race of it up until that point. And none of it matters. None of it matters because of a farce of a race that we had today. And do you know what? At the end of this tour, we'll be in the same situation. People will still be saying that Froome stole this. You know, there's going to be a significant number of people will say Froome stole this because, you know, and it doesn't matter what happens now. You know, we all know that people are, are haters of Team Sky, are haters of Chris Froome. And this is just fuel to their fire, you know. And I really feel actually for people like Adam Yates, not because he, he you know, he was in yellow or wasn't because it was a provisional result, but then had it, you know, taken off him. And God bless him, you know, he's come out and he's been extremely dignified and he'd say, he said, you know, I've Nobody would want to take yellow like that. I'm glad they've given it to Chris Froome. But what if he was in a charge to get back to that group? You know, mm. we don't know at this point. And, you know, what about Richie Port? He ran into that motorbike and it looked to me like there was a wee gap developing behind him. You know, he might have been able to, to get a break. So... Who knows? I mean, seriously, who knows what's going to happen? But I've, I've never seen a mess like this in, in you know, years of watching cycling. Uh, my favourite so far as well is... Um, that's Ashley trying to phone me just now, that beeping in the background. Um, my favourite so far is, is somebody's actually posted a, a, a cheeky wee rule, which is that... Um, the, the cost for the attempt to secure a placement in a race or the attempt to be placed without having covered the entire course by bicycle, which I think we can safely say the photographic evidence um, supports, is um, a 200 franc fine plus elimination from the race. I think it would be just opening an, an immense can of worms and there's no way anybody is going no, to... of course they're not. But, I mean, it, it, it's all fuel to that fire, isn't it? Mm. It's that consistency thing again. I'm just, I mean, I'm just left, literally, I'm I'm both laughing and fuming here. I'm, I'm amazed that I haven't been incredibly sweary in this podcast because, once again, we've got this beautiful sport of ours being made a laughing stock around the world for, you know, different reasons this time. But you know, you just know there's going to be YouTube edits all over the place, and you just know that the usual suspects are going to go nuts about you know UCI and commissaire bias, and you just know that the other fans are going to go, you know, oh, well, if Alberto had been here, he would have caught it back and flown over the motorbike like ET in the film. You know, it's just gonna, <laughs> it's it's going to feed all of the biases that damage our sport, all of those you know spiteful fans that we see, as well as the genuine fans who will just be shaking their head going, what do we do with this? No, I mean, the, the reaction on, on Twitter, as, as I'm sure a lot of people fought, you know, used to as an accompaniment to, to their watching of, of the race was just incredible. I don't think I've ever seen my timeline move as fast with, you know, WTF exclamation mark, question mark, just flying past an, an immense rate of notice. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm like yourself. I'm, sh I'm shaking with anger and immensely sympathetic to, to all the people that are, that are involved in, Everybody in this. Everybody on both sides. I'm not taking sides with this. There's nobody who wins out of this. No, and, and the thing, you know, I was trying to kind of highlight, and I'm sure you are too, was that had this not happened, we would have been, we, you know, we were being treated to a cracking day's racing 
for all the riders that I previously mentioned, every single rider, well, maybe apart from Fabio Aru and Astana, who were just there chiefly to, to provide the comedy this afternoon, um, put on a cracking show today. I reckon Astana were actually just performing a public service today. All those, you know, all those members of the public by the side of the road were clearly really thirsty, and Aru was just ferrying bottles across to them from the car. I, I, th- I thought it was a, a public service in another way that several specialised bikes were making their way to eBay listings every ten or so kilometres as Fabio Aru changed his bike. It was just a kind of donation service. So you're much much less suspicious than me. I just I saw what you tweeted. To charge the batteries last night, <laughs> and they had to keep swapping the bikes <laughs> for the Di2. Oh, sorry, the Campy EP. Oh, I can't remember where it's <laughs> a battery of some description. <laughs> Uh, my, my final point of ire here, and I think it's such a, a, a really, really mean-spirited thing to tweet, uh, is going towards Jonathan Waters, who in, in all of what happened, right in the maelstrom of that confusion, manages, and I'm, I'm with him in complaining about ASO, you've heard me do so, but JV tweets this, Unreal, the number of infuriating issues driven by greed that caused that mess. Just sad. Yeah. Okay, fine, JV. driving forces behind Velon. Exactly. Um, You've spent the past five years causing merry hell in the sport driven by your own greed. So you can frankly do one for bringing that up right now. Yeah, that's exactly. I, I saw the tweet and I thought the same thing. I mean, it's uh, I don't follow him anymore. Somebody retweeted him into my timeline. Um, but, you know, it's... It's not a time to, to make personal advantage. It's not a time to use for leverage. It's a sad time for the whole sport. And people saying the ASO can't organise a race are delusional if they think anybody else would have done better because this is all under the umbrella of the governance of the sport. You know, and we all need to learn, whoever the race organisers are, you know, ASO need to need to you know, have a good look at themselves and wonder what the hell happened today. Other race organisers, you know, we've seen the number of times other race organisers have battered folk through all sorts of street furniture, have put in dangerous finishes. So don't give me ASO or crap and everybody else is great. The entire sport needs fixing. All this has done is highlighted the mess. Yeah, indeed. Now, the top 10s for for today, if I can... I mean, I'm, I'm hesitating to, to give you these because who knows what will happen overnight. Thomas de Gent wins the stage ahead of Serge Powell's in second place. Daniel Navarro was in third. Steph Clement finished in fourth. Sylvain Chavanel in fifth. In sixth place was Bert-Jan Linderman. In seventh, Daniel Tekla-Hymanot. In eighth, Sepp van Mark. In ninth place, Chris Anker-Sorison. And in tenth was Bauke Mollema. The revised top 10, I think we've been given this as the official one, now reads as follows. Chris Froome still leads ahead of Adam Yates now by 47 seconds. Bauke is in third at 56 seconds. Nairo Quintana is in fourth at 1 minute and 1. In fifth is Roman Bardet at 1 minute 15. In sixth, Alejandro Valverde at 1.39. In seventh, TJ Van Garderen at 1.44. In eighth, Fabio Aru at 1.54. In ninth is Dan Martin at one. 56 and in 10th Joaquim Rodriguez at 2 minutes and 11. Now given we're still reeling from today's stage and all of this is our immediate reaction 
John and I have decided that we'll be back tomorrow morning to provide what we hope will be a more measured judgment on things with the benefit of hindsight. And at that point, we'll also look at tomorrow's time trial. Actually, can I just interrupt briefly? Um, I've just had a, a text to say that the drive side chainstay on Chris Froome's bike was broken clean through. So there was no way he could ride it to the finish. And we've, we've not talking about the Mavic bike itself, actually, now I come to think of it. Yeah, that, that was Keystone Cops. That was clowns riding around, you know, with horses going round in the middle. One, he, he couldn't get his feet in, and then the gears were skipping. I mean, that was farcical. He got off quite rightly. It was like me trying to ride your bike, mate. And, and you know, is, is this a problem for, for Mavic, that they've not actually provided a neutral service bike that was rideable? I don't think they ever expect them to get used. I mean, this is one of those, <laughs> this is one of those rare, rare situations where the team car stood no chance at all. Um, you know, it, it was just, the whole thing was a clusterfuck. I mean, really, it's just a total mess. So, you know, Froome's bike definitely couldn't have been ridden. The Mavic one, they've got an impossible, an impossible task, haven't they? With every rider having, a, you know, a different size of bike, so many different pedal systems in the go, the way that riders are used to different gear systems, you know, with, with EPS and DI2, it's different muscle memory to change gear. I really feel for the Mavic guys. I'm pretty sure that bike was perfectly set up, but it was probably the wrong pedals and a gear system that Froome wasn't used to. You know, it's an impossible task. I don't know if I would agree with you there. I think if you're going to provide neutral service, then neutral service means provide something that is neutral to everybody and can be ridden. I don't think... Single-speed BMX, that's the way you it. <laughs> a Dutch city bike with a basket on the front. Yeah. Actually, yeah, an electric bike. That would be awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us today. As probably like yourselves, we sat as slack-jawed as a drunk yokel at the events we witnessed today. John and I will be back tomorrow, as I say, with a full analysis of today's stage and then later on to discuss how the time trial was ridden, presumably on penny farthings and won by a zombie on Rue de Grange, in another edition of The Velocast. The Velocast.